Oh, we'll have to do that after Hell Freeze is over. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Welcome to I Tell My Husband the News. I'm Shannon Ray Green, a journalist at USA Today. Each week, I catch my husband up on all the stories he may have missed. He doesn't really like to read or watch the news, so I'm pretty much his sole news source. It's a big responsibility. My husband, Dusty Terrell, is a local comedian in the Washington, D.C. area. Thanks for being here, Dusty. Thanks for having me, Shannon. So how's it going, Dusty? Great, Shannon. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you excited for this week? I am. Pumped for only a three-day work week. Woo! Woo. Too bad we're going to be apart, though. For Thanksgiving, you mean, yeah, because you want to be with your dumb family and I want to be with my dumb family. Yeah, that's the way it goes. All couples have to deal with it. Pick one or the other. Fine, I guess. (laughs) I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So we do have some Thanksgiving-themed stories for me to tell you about. But first, I want to get to a surprising 20-year anniversary. I could not believe that Toy Story this past weekend... It's been officially 20 years since the movie came out. That makes me feel really old. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we're getting really old. That means 20 years ago, I would have been 11. You would have been 8. Yeah, that's right. Um, I love that movie, and I have no idea. Do you love the movie, too? Of course I love the movie. What am I, some sort of monster? (laughs) You would be if you didn't love that movie. So I'm glad that we have that covered. Who is the best toy for Andy? Is it Woody or Buzz Lightyear? Well, I think... uh, Buzz Lightyear is obviously the cooler of the two toys, Fair. but but I always am. I was always more of a Woody myself, just more like practical, less like big dream ridiculousness. I'm just always like, hey, let's stick down to earth. You know what I mean? Well, I think that actually highlights what's different between you and me as a couple. I am definitely the dreamer, while you are the practical one. So yes, to infinity and beyond. I'm definitely Team Buzz Lightyear. Yeah, that's why you need me. You need me to ground you every once in a while. Yeah. Well, our entertainment coverage includes the five best toys from the series. And there are things like the piggy bank, which is Ham, and he's a bit of an evil mastermind. Um, There's also the slinky dog, which who didn't want a slinky dog as a kid? Um, And he gives a lot of practical advice to Woody and sometimes Buzz. Um, and apparently there's another Toy Story movie coming out soon, so we should go see it. So would that be Toy Story 4? I think so. And by soon, I mean 2018. I've got some tech news for you, Dusty. Hit me. It's about the soon-to-be father, Mark Zuckerberg. Ever heard of him? Mm. Yeah. Big old daddy Facebook having a baby, eh? Yeah. It looks like it's going to be a girl, and he has just announced... Uh, this past Friday, that he will be taking two months of paternity leave. That's pretty exciting. I wish I could be that baby. It'd be nice to be born into the Facebook uh, fortune. That would be pretty great. It's interesting that he has made this announcement about paternity leave at a time when Silicon Valley execs have been making a lot of news um, trying to attract talent by giving them more paternity leave. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, it's a nice step forward to having to work less. (laughs) And it's also great for parents. I mean, I hope that 
one day if you and I have kids, it would be so great to get as much time as we need to be home with our newborn children. How many days off for paternity leave can you get if you're not the CEO of Facebook? Zuckerberg has said that the policy is you can get up to four months as a Facebook employee. And you can take it at any time in the first year that your child has been born. That's really great. I think if my company started offering uh, four months paternity leave, I'd just suggest we just start popping them out one right after the other. I'll never have to work again. Oh, we'll have to do that after hell freezes over. (laughs) All right, that's fair. I'm definitely not doing that. So, no, get no ideas. You don't want to give birth every nine months? (sighs) That's my response. Uh, That makes sense. Read into it what Mm. you will read into it. So this is a completely different story, um, but it is science-y, and it's even a little racy. Ooh. So, of course, you're familiar with Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've heard of him, yes. You've actually met him. That's true. I have. I shook his hand. It's a big claim to fame for you, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, So a fan recently asked Tyson, um, which, of course, he's a well-known astrophysicist, um, about what sex in space would be like. Oh. And he answered the question, um, and he explained how, of course, it, when it comes to the International Space Station, you don't necessarily have zero gravity because it continues to turn and turn and turn. So that sort of forces gravity just like we have on Earth. So he said it was pretty similar. But then he goes on to say when you are in zero gravity, it's kind of difficult to have two objects come together. Um, You know, just like with when they sleep, um, they have sleeping bags that actually hold them down so they're not just floating everywhere. Right. So he talks about how what's really required is straps or leather belts. And it's just funny to think about people having sex. So you just have to like loosen and tighten the belt every couple of... (laughs) To do the thrusting motion? <laughs> what if you included, like, each person had thrusters on? And you just fired the thrusters <laughs> quickly. <laughs> he didn't really get into that many specifics as you are. Uh, he was a little more classy about it, that honey. makes sense. <laughs> but it is, it's just such a, a funny thing to answer in the way that only Neil deGrasse Tyson can, which is witty, but also extremely scientific because he's just so well-renowned for answering these kinds of goofy questions. Well, if we're lucky as a civilization, hopefully we'll all get to try this out someday. (laughs) Yeah. Next story is also a a science story, and I know you love those, and me too. They're pretty exciting. So there is a woman named Kim Nace who works at Rich Earth Institute in Brattleboro, Vermont, and she is a pioneer of something called pea cycling. What is that? It sounds like sounds like somebody's trying to power their bicycle with urine. Not that. Okay. They're trying to recycle human urine. Mm, gross. They're trying to put it back into the soil um, and help out farmers in the process. So they're actually giving out kits to volunteer donors. Um, and part of the reason that they want to collect this urine is because human urine is high in phosphorus and nitrogen, which is what farmers love about animal manure. And farmers already have a process of sometimes peeing themselves into some of their compost and other things. So 
farmers already understood the value of human urine. And scientists in particular are excited about it because it will save water needed for your own toilets. I've been peeing in fields for a long time. I didn't realize that I was actually helping. <laughs> I mean, I always figured I was helping somebody, but I didn't know for sure. <laughs> I, don't, I doubt you ever thought you were helping somebody. I bet you were just trying to help out yourself, make it easy for you to take a leak. Mm, and maybe. you're trying to act like you were doing something for a noble cause. But I can see right through you. Maybe. But it's pretty interesting that this is a... a worthwhile thing that people are getting involved with in Vermont. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that our daily output of urine contains considerably more nitrogen and phosphorus than our poop. So you don't have to worry about people coming after your poop to collect it. I was worried about that. <laughs> um, and the other thing that's interesting is that pee isn't that difficult for scientists um, or volunteers at this institute to handle because most urine is pathogen free. So it's not nearly as unhealthy as feces. So... Yeah, I mean, our government is pretty excited about it. The EPA and the U.S. Department of Agriculture are funding some of this research. So I talked about how donors are getting involved. And there is a $10 startup kit that um, includes a white five-gallon jug and a fabric pea cozy to hide its contents from people with delicate sensibilities. <laughs> this is what the oh, story says. I've always wanted a pea cozy. <laughs> that's gross. But... I mean, if you were going to participate in this, I would totally support it. Okay, let's do it. So for men, they give out a large, bright red funnel tightly screwed to the jug. And women and girls are issued what they're calling a nun's cap receptacle that fits into a normal toilet and can be poured into the container. A ping pong ball at the base of the funnel serves as a shutoff valve. In the presence of pee, the ball floats. When dry, the ball sinks, sealing the reservoir. Oh, that's perfect. Dual purpose. You can seal your pee valve, and you can also play around a ping pong with it. Oh my gosh, that's really disgusting. <laughs> You're gross. So I mentioned that Kim Nace is the woman leading up this effort. Um, there's a great quote from her in this story. Um, for people who are turning up their nose at this idea, she says, It's arrogant to be peeing into water. Um, when you consider the source of our food and our health. So one of the other benefits of this effort that's happening in Vermont is that all these donors who are handing over their five-gallon jugs are saving all the water that they would use to flush their pee down the toilet. Do you know if the water, if the urine being used in the farmland is a replacement for uh, water in their crops? Like, in other words, if they use urine then would they would they be able to water their plant their farmland less because that's part of the the big problem with a lot of the drought uh issues is the amount of water we use in our homes is just a drop in the bucket compared to the amount of water needed to uh to water farmland do you know if this would help with that as well i'm not sure about that well great thanks for nothing shannon <laughs> I'm sorry. You'll have to ask Kim Nace. All right, let's move on to the next story. So an Amish man actually did a great job in a marathon in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. He was just a minute short of qualifying for the Boston Marathon for his age group. Um, but he actually did the whole race in slacks and suspenders. Well, maybe if he had on body armor and proper sneakers, he would have been able to finish fast enough. Well, 
you know, he's doing what he loves to do, and I, I think that's cool. still pretty impressive. I mean, I'm pretty sure if I was wearing all the per- uh, correct gear, I wouldn't be able to run a marathon anyway. Oh, come on. I think you could if you trained. Well, I don't want to train. I'm not doing it. <laughs> well, therein lies the reason why you can't do it. Yeah, the 22-year-old said that he's used to running in slacks and spenders because that's what he does at home, and that he turns to running whenever he's tempted to sin. He says that his brother-in-law introduced him to the practice. Maybe this is a, a best-kept secret by the Amish where it's actually easier to run in slacks and suspenders. I am always upset when my pants are falling down while I'm running. Maybe that's what you should do. Yeah, I need suspenders. Yeah, thanks to this guy. Running suspenders. Maybe you'll be running a marathon thanks to this guy. So speaking of running, I had no idea that Thanksgiving Day is the most popular holiday for running. That just seems crazy to me because people eat so much food on that day. But maybe that's exactly why people just feel bad and think that they should start the day with a race. I certainly don't have enough time to run on Thanksgiving Day. I'm way too busy waking up, watching football, eating dinner, and then going back to sleep. That's all I have time for. Well, me too. But did you know that thousands of people, when their alarm clock rings really early in the morning, they actually go out and run what's called the turkey trot? That sounds horrible. (laughs) Well, a lot of people do it. Um, A lot of people sign up, pay money to run in a big race and sort of taken America by storm. Runner's World reported that a massive growth in turkey trots has propelled Thanksgiving Day to the top spot as the most popular holiday for road racing. In 2012, there were 490 Thanksgiving Day races versus 290 in 2008. In 2012, there were more than 858,000 finishers, and that's up 155% from 2008. Do you know what the number two holiday is for running? What's that? The 4th of July. Number three is New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. Do they do uh, the running before or after Thanksgiving dinner? Majority of them are before. Well, that makes sense. It seems like if it was after, there'd be a lot more vomiting. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Most turkey trots donate funds to charity and offer cash prizes for winners and encourage goofy turkey-themed costumes. The crazy thing is that this started all the way back in 1896 in Buffalo, New York. That is the first time um, they had an, uh, an official turkey trot. It was a five-mile unpaved race. I didn't know people could be outside in Buffalo, New York during November. It's too cold. Yeah, yeah, it's way too cold. And I'm probably not going to be out running, even though I should be. But you and I will definitely be in the car. And to move on to a completely different story, AAA reports that nearly 47 million Americans will also be on the roads to travel for Thanksgiving. That's too many. It means traffic's going to be just a delight. Yeah, I'm really not looking forward to that at all. But this is what happens every year. Like clockwork, so does the news about the terrible, terrible traffic. Um, But one thing that's good about this year is gas prices are below last year's averages, and they are the lowest since 2008. Well, that's nice. So it won't cost quite as much to sit in traffic. Yeah, but it's still going to really suck. Um, Waze has reported that the Sunday after Thanksgiving will be the worst day of traffic by far. But you know, you and I are going to be on the roads that Sunday because you just can't help it but stay with your family for that whole long weekend. Yeah, it's basically unavoidable. But it will be all worth it to sit through all that snarling traffic to get to the turkey dinner because that's 
delightful. And we're with our families. That's going to be so good. Um, so this Thanksgiving, one of USA Today's partners, which is Review.com, said there are five reasons to spatchcock your turkey this Thanksgiving. Have you? I don't even know what that is. I didn't know what spatchcock was either. Sounds um, disgusting. <laughs> well... They say it's a superior method in virtually every way. But spatchcocking, which I'm sure everyone needs to know what it is because I've never heard of it. It sounds like something that would make you go to jail. Why is that? Because you think it involves... Bestiality is illegal, Shannon. <laughs> That's really gross. So gross. All your jokes. So gross. Okay. Spatchcocking is when you pretty much butterfly the turkey. You cut it and and lay it flat. So you just open it up almost like a book. And so it does take away from like the visual appeal of having like a huge full turkey. And you also have to cook your stuffing differently. But they say there's lots of good reasons why you should do it. One, your turkey will be ready faster because it will take less time to cook. Two, your turkey will be crispier and juicier. They say that it it keeps the meat moist while providing you with crispy skin. Um, your gravy and stuffing will be tastier because more turkey juices will get on to the stuffing um, and the gravy will work its way into more of the turkey. You can spruce up your presentation. And the fifth reason, there's more than one way to spatchcock. You can actually grill it outside. Why do they call it this? I'm not sure what the history... Seems like a terrible name. I'm... They should just call it butterflying your turkey or cutting your turkey so it's flatter. <laughs> so it doesn't alarm why... people? Yeah, I don't know why this term spatchcocking needs to exist. So they actually, in the Review.com story, have linked out to Wikipedia... And they have a definition right here, so I'm going to read it. A spatchcock is a historical term for a cold, immature male chicken, but increasingly denotes a preparation technique. Oh, it's also known as spattlecock. It is a poultry or game that has been p- prepared for roasting or grilling by removing the backbone and sometimes the sternum of the bird and flattening it out before cooking. What is the process for doing this? Do you just have to do, like, Mortal Kombat moves on your turkey? Just grab it by the spine and just yank that thing right out of there. Well, you can ask your butcher to do it for you, but there was a video in the review.com story if you want to do it yourself and they say that you need poultry shears and a paring knife. So first you just have to cut through the actual turkey to cut out the backbone um, and you throw that to the side and then you flip it over and you use a paring knife to cut around the wishbone and pull that out and that makes it easier to you know open up the legs pull back the wings and then you push down hard on the breastbone and that actually um, forces the breastbone to break and then you are able to put it on top of some root vegetables that help um, absorb all the drippings that the turkey will create when you as you roast it and supposedly it's supposed to come out wonderfully juicy with crisp skin and take less time than a normal turkey roast would. The, usually when I don't know how to do something, like if I didn't know how to spatchcock a turkey, um, I go to this website. And I'll give, I'll give our <sighs> listeners a chance to get oh, I hate this joke. a pen and pencil Ugh. or a pen and paper. Just stop it. Don't put our u- listeners through this. To, so they can write it down. Uh, here's the website. It's www.youtube.com. That's youtube.com. You go there, you type in whatever you want to learn to do, 
And there's probably a video teaching you how to do it. Okay. It's a little known, little known website that not a lot of people take advantage of. To give some listeners a feeling of why they heard so many loud sighs and groans from me as Dusty told that joke, is this. You know, I'm married to this man, and sometimes I'll turn to him for advice or help with something, and he mocks me with that joke more times than I can count. Of I'm just like, honey, can what do you think I should do in this situation, or or how can I do this better? And he'll just say, just just type in www.youtu, and I'm just like, oh. So that is why you That's heard good advice. It's good advice <laughs> for all. It kind of is, and I sometimes use that joke at work. To my coworkers, so I'm sorry, coworkers. It's not very nice, but it's kind of funny. Our next story is about a New York steakhouse that is offering a forty-five thousand dollar Thanksgiving feast. Can you believe it? How many people does that feed? Or is it just feed one person? It's just like a golden turkey. The meal feeds eight, just eight people. So you can, they say on the website, bring your parents and best man and maid of honor, according to the steakhouse. So what does the meal consist of? Are they feeding people like caviar shaped like a turkey? Well, part of the reason it is so expensive because the meal comes with a two-carat diamond ring. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, But it it also includes two tickets to primo grandstand seats at the annual Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, a $7,500 Black Friday shopping spree at Bergdorf Goodman, a two-night stay at the Waldorf Astoria, and door-to-door limousine service. Oh, and a turkey carving demonstration, which the steakhouse notes, quote, you'll need the tips because you won't have money to eat out next year. <laughs> so, it, I mean, we obviously can't afford it. But Oh, no. Plus, we're already <laughs> married, so I'm not going to. Okay. I don't, I'm not in the, in the market to buy another wedding ring. Yeah. It's definitely marketing this lavish dinner as an engagement package. So this steakhouse, which is the, it's called the Old Homestead Steakhouse, uh, and it's in New York City in the Meatpacking District has actually charged for this lavish dinner up to 35000 And three people laid down thousands for that feast. This year, two people have already inquired about this package for 45000 Seems like they could just let you buy your own diamond ring, bring the price down a whole bunch. How much is the BYOR package part of that? <laughs> well, I'm sure Can you... you get a $20,000 discount if you bring your own ring? I'm sure you could make some inquiries. They might okay. customize a package for you. Um, so moving on from something lavish to something lavish that we could actually afford, um, Oreo churros. That's something you can buy now. Isn't that exciting? I guess so. Where? From Oreo. Oh, God. Like in the grocery store? Mm-hmm. Um, so J&J Snacks Food Corporation, which is the maker of Oreo, announced in a statement that grocery shoppers can now purchase Oreo churros in the frozen aisle of grocery stores. This is great news. I mean, I never buy churros and I never buy Oreos, but I'm definitely buying Oreo churros. It's a first time thing. You know, you got to try it out. Um, So the cookie consists of a chocolate churro shell with a crumb sugar topping and, of course, cream filling. And they come in a 10 inch bite sized churro. And this is not the company's first shot at recreating churros. They made their initial debut in November of last year and involved cookie sticks that you dunk into individual cream dip cups. I mean, anything's bite-sized if you take a bite out of it, but you can't say bite-sized if it's 10 inches long. You'd shove the whole thing in your mouth. You'd choke on it. Well, whatever you say, Dusty. I hope people have the common sense to actually bite instead of... 
choking on the churro. So we've talked about Thanksgiving and the meal and the dessert. So that, of course, brings us to Black Friday. And there's actually a big change for Black Friday this year for one retailer in particular, Walmart. They are ditching doorbusters. Seems like a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I think... When I think of the footage of people running in and fighting with each other to grab some of these deals, I think it's a good move for the company. Walmart says that they are making this change to make things easier for customers. And they're also allowing more people to shop online. So I think it might be a little bit more pleasant. So the deals will start at 6 p.m., on Thanksgiving, and they will roll out hourly in the store. Online deals are going to start at 12.01 a.m. Pacific time. So that means people on the East Coast, if they want to start shopping online for deals, they'll have to stay up pretty late. I probably won't be awake at 3 a.m. shopping on Walmart.com. Well, you won't have a chance to get an iPad Air 2, Beats headphones, an Xbox One, an HP Touch laptop, and a 55-inch LG TV. You won't have a chance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad that we're going to be having fun with our family and, you know, I'm going to be sleeping. Yeah, definitely at 3 a.m. I'm going to be sleeping. Next week, and I tell my husband the news. Well, I don't know. It hasn't happened yet. That's why it's called the news. (laughs) I tell my husband the news as part of the U.S. Today podcast network. It comes out every Monday. You can find more U.S. Today podcasts on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.